0: Uh, Go ahead, open your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 19. We continue our study here into uh, Elijah. You know, the the Bible is um, one of the most marvelous books in history. All of history. I mean, in it we find a, a righteous, holy God, His plan of redemption for mankind, an amazing book of God's incredible love, grace, and mercy that he uh, that He shows, shows us. In it we find tales of, of the giants of the faith, you know, Abraham, Moses, David, um, people used by God in a spectacular way uh, to proclaim his greatness, birthing nations and, and leading those nations across deserts and building arks and, and temples and but it's also an incredibly honest book. It's filled with a wreckage in the debris of men and women who have also failed. It tells me that God, not man, is the ultimate author of this book. Because we tend to gloss over, we tend to gloss over our sins, our failings. But God doesn't. God is a realist, and when he portrays a man, he paints him warts and all. But these accounts of failure also tell me something else. That the God who stands behind this book is a God of grace. He's a God of grace. He wants us to profit from the failures of others. These accounts of, of failure are a flashing red, red light for us. Caution. Look out. Watch. Danger ahead. Beware. I mean, it's, it's much more pleasant for us to learn from the mistakes of others, isn't it? And that's a whole lot easier way to learn lessons is, is from somebody else, and not yourself. Amen. Amen. Elijah's life teaches that victory makes us vulnerable. It often gives us a false sense of invulnerability. And so we will we'll tend to lower our guard. 1 Corinthians 10, 12-13 says, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. We all, we all struggle with the same thing. The very point you think you're strongest, you become the most vulnerable. We've seen Elijah at his highest, and now we see him at his lowest. The fact that these two extremes are so chronologically close is a key to to understanding this passage. Victory is often followed quickly by defeat. So let's read our passage for this morning. 1 Kings chapter 19, and we're going to again be in verses 1 through 4. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with a sword. Now, O oh Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my fathers. Elijah's uh, story is an example for us that that, uh, that can happen. What can happen after great victory, and the things that can cause it. This morning, we're going to continue to look at a at a prophet who is worn out and discouraged. So, a, a quick refresher: uh, what what brought us up to this moment? Israel had fallen into idolatry, which had been encouraged by Ahab and Jezebel. God sent Elijah to confront King Ahab and tell him that, that uh, the nation was going to be punished for their sin. There was going to be no rain. And after three years, Elijah came back and he proposed the contest between the priests of, of Baal and himself to, uh, to prove um, which one was really God. And then God performs this this unmistakable victory that that couldn't be be denied. And the people fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God. After this, Elijah prayed that God would send the rain that he promised. Tells Ahab to go ahead and and, and head home because the rain is coming. And then uh, Elijah outruns Ahab's chariot all the way back to Jezreel's 20-some miles. Elijah's out of breath, but he's exhilarated by this great victory. And we come to this passage, and suddenly we see Elijah is discouraged, and he wants to die. What are some of the factors that led to this, to becoming depressed and and, 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 uh, discouraged like Elijah? We started last week by looking at some of the factors that can lead to this. Last week, we we looked at a... um, a real threat, that was the first thing that we looked at. Elijah was discouraged because of a real threat. Jezebel was waiting for him there in Jezreel, no doubt anxious to hear about the great victory of her prophet's bail over Elijah and how they had finally silenced him once and for all. But what Jezebel heard did not make her happy at all. Instead of a victory, she heard her prophets were humiliated and they were completely wiped out. So Jezebel is furious. She sends a, a messenger to Elijah that, and tells him that you're as good as dead. You're as good as dead. And Elijah didn't wait around um, to find out if Jezebel was serious or not. He, he wasted no time in getting out of town. We saw last week that Elijah had a valid reason to be discouraged. The situation looked bad. Jezebel said she was going to kill him. Discouragement often comes because of valid reasons. Elijah was facing real issues in his life. And the truth is, every one of us will face real issues, real threats. It's easy for those things to to cause us to become discouraged. We have emotions that, that are affected by our circumstances. And so did Elijah. That's why James 5.17 says Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. The real issue is is what we do with those emotions. Do we take those emotions to the Lord, or or do we let those emotions take us? Do we keep them under control, or do we let them control us? Elijah did what many of us are prone to do. He let his emotions take control, and, and that led to some very irrational behavior. After all he had already faced, after all he had, had see, already seen the Lord do, Elijah does it irrationally, he runs away in fear, 125 miles south to Beersheba. He leaves his nation, he leaves Israel and runs all the way to the southern border of Judah. And this despair can often cause people to do things that defy logic, things that make no sense. We talked about catastrophic thinking, a domino effect of emotions, thinking of every worst case scenario, an avalanche of possibilities that that soon overwhelm us. And that's what we find with our man Elijah. We looked at a couple things that can contribute to that last week. Emotional and physical exhaustion. And Elijah had, had just gone through a very intense period of, of spiritual battle. He had just run over 20 miles in front of Ahab's chariot. He was physically and emotionally exhausted. Our bodies are are not designed to be constantly pushed that way. We, We get tired. I mean, who doesn't know we get tired? I mean, right? He is emotionally drained. And the pressures that he faced, too. Confronting Ahab and, and dependent solely on God for his food and, and, and dealing with the widow and, and, the, and the death of the widow's son and, and confronting the people and confronting the prophets. and I mean, all of that is emotional taxing. When we're physically and emotionally drained, we can make some pretty rash decisions. That's not what God planned for us, and it can lead to some serious trouble. The Lord set up things from the from the beginning for us to have a day of rest. We need to take time to rest, physically and emotionally. Even Jesus took time away to rest, his body. He puts us in a a body of believers that we can lean on. We need to allow them to come alongside us and and to hold us up in those times when we're feeling drained. It's not a weakness. The, The Lord designed us that way. Last week, we looked at the real threats Elijah and we face, how a physical and emotional exhaustion can can lead to discouragement, and that can can cause us to, to make some pretty irrational decisions and fall into depression. We need to take those real issues to the Lord. We need to take time to rest physically and emotionally. This week, we pick it back up and we look at unrealistic expectations. Remember back in uh, verse 46 at the end of this chapter. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. So full of the Spirit, Elijah outran the chariot and gets to, to Jezreel first. But why did he run to Jezreel? Jezreel Samaria was the political capital of the, of the northern kingdom. Jezreel was the military capital. This was kind of where the army you know, would, would kind of post itself. It was where King Ahab and Jezebel spent much of their time. Why would he go there? Well, Elijah headed straight for Jezreel, it seems, because he was assuming that there was going to be a national repentance. It was going to be a national repentance, as if he had already, he had already called Franklin Graham. Billy Graham Evangelistic Association was going to be waiting for him when he got back. I mean, Jezebel, Ahab, and, and all of them were obviously going to repent. I mean, and they would lead the nation into a national repentance. It would be that whole 2 Chronicles 7.14 thing, if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and I will heal their lands. That's, that's, what, ah- that's what Elijah had in mind. I mean, this, this miracle had just been, been performed on Mount Carmel. They would need a lot of workers to, to pray with these people as they repented. How, because God sent fire. The prophets of Baal are gone. God is changing the entire country. Revival is coming. Elijah wants to be, see, wants to be there. He wants to see this transforming work. But he gets there. He gets there and things are not quite what he anticipated. Look at verse 1 of chapter 19. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with a sword. And then Jezebel fell to her knees, repented, and worshiped God. Oh, wait. That's what happened, right? That's what's supposed to happen. That's what's supposed to happen. When you see miracles as stunning as what happened on on Mount Carmel, you would think everybody, everybody would immediately repent, right? But the message from Jezebel is not that at all. Instead, she says, by tomorrow morning, I will have your life. You're a dead man. This unexpected reply shakes him to the core. Elijah fell apart at the seams, and he takes off running. Often the the black moods of despair that grip us comes at times when we have been disappointed in some result that we expected. Some unexpected turn of events causes us to lose faith, for the time being at least. Things don't turn out the way that we hoped or we expected, so we begin to despair. We forget everything that God has already done and and already promised. We think, well, it it was all for nothing not here. If We look beneath this account of Elijah, what we see is incomplete trust. What Elijah was doing was, was going along with God. As long as God was doing what Elijah expected him to do. For Elijah there was no doubt about how God was going to take care of him. Elijah knew the ravens would supply him food. God told him. Elijah knew the widow would feed him. The flour and the oil would not run out. For Elijah, there was no doubt of the great victory on Mount Carmel. Elijah knew what God was going to do. Elijah knew that God was going to answer with fire. Elijah knew he could send Ahab to eat and to drink. Elijah knew that God was going to follow it with rain from the sky. No shadow of doubt in his heart or his mind when he goes to confront the powers of evil on Mount Carmel. He knows what God is going to do. The God of Elijah lives. He knows what he's going to do. But this event, this event has shaken him because he doesn't expect it. He doesn't expect it. This is partly because he has placed his his faith not upon God, but upon his knowledge of God. Isn't it often the same with us? God doesn't answer answer things or do things we expect him to do. I mean, this is apart from his his written promises. We should expect him to do those things. But sometimes we begin to to believe God operates in, in our wisdom. If we do A and B, then he will do C. Train up a child. Well, my kids are never going to wander now. Husbands, love your wives. Well, our marriage is going to be perfect now. Wives, submit to your husbands. Well, my, my husband's going to be a godly leader now. And when it doesn't happen exactly that way, we lose faith. I don't get it. I don't get it. My kids are still disobedient. Marriage is, is so hard. Is God even, even here? Is he in control? I thought he loved me. Why Why hasn't he fixed them yet? Why bother? We're not really trusting God to do anything that he wants to do. Instead, we're we're trusting on what we expect God to do. Sometimes our faith is really based upon what we see. And when we can't, we get afraid. And that fear can cause us to run away. But faith is trusting God when we can't see exactly what he's doing. It's Trusting him when results are not what we expected. Still trusting that he is in control. He knows what he's doing, even if we don't. Isaiah 55, 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither my ways, your ways. We just talked about this morning with, with Dwayne and, and with door It's not the way we would have done something like that. And we also see some other factors from Elijah here that can lead to discouragement and, and depression for a child of God. He lost his focus and self-pity Elijah leaves his servant and goes another day's journey into the wilderness. He sits down under a juniper tree, he throws in the towel, and he asks God to take his life. Poor old Elijah has reached rock bottom. Elijah loses focus and he starts to feel like a martyr and he rolls around in self-pity. There's several aspects of this I want to look at this morning. First, Elijah cut himself off from those close to him. We see that in verse 3. He left his his servant in Beersheba, and he continued on into the wilderness alone. One of the quickest ways to believe the lies bouncing around in your head is to cut off people who would challenge those lies. That is often why we do it, isn't it? So that we don't have to look too closely at ourselves. What a sad and lonely place to be. That's precisely why the fellowship of the church is so important. Hebrews 10.25, not neglecting to meet together, but encouraging one another. Even if the people in the church don't understand exactly what you're going through, they, they can at least pray with you They can be a friend for you. They can come alongside, hold you up when you're weary. You need people around you. Don't cut yourself off from others. One of the first things people tend to do when they're upset, when they're angry, when they're depressed, they retreat to themselves. Cut everyone off. That's what Elijah did. Elijah wallowed in self-pity. Shortly after this scene, after God ministered to him there, the Lord asked him, What are you doing here? What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied in verse 10, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I am the only one left. Now they're trying to kill me too. Elijah suffered from poor me syndrome. Many people who become discouraged have a a tendency to develop a, I'm all alone. Nobody understands. They begin to think that they're the only person in the world who's right. Becomes me against them. Felt like a failure. They, They rejected you after all, God. I failed. He believed he was the only one who remained faithful to God. Neither of those are true. Elijah hadn't failed. He did exactly what God told him to do. He also wasn't the only one still standing. He wasn't the only believer left. The truth is he had left his faithful servant in Beersheba. He had left him. We know that there are a hundred prophets who have been protected by Obadiah. Remember that? Obadiah hid a hundred prophets in the caves In verse 18, it says that there were over 7,000 people in Israel who hadn't bowed the knee to Baal. But Elijah, he never sought them out. He just went off feeling sorry for himself. Discouraged people often lose perspective. They wallow in self-pity. Elijah was also full of himself. He says, take my life. For I am no better than my father's. The question I have is, who told him that he was better than his father's in the first place? Apparently Elijah had come to believe that he was something special. After all, God had used him in an amazing way, right? Hadn't he trusted God and seen the impossible done time and time again? Yes, he had, but he was still no better than anyone else. Elijah thought that Ahab and Jezebel would repent after his great victory on Mount Carmel. He must have had dreams of, of leading the whole nation into a great revival. Maybe he thought he was the man of the hour. He would show up in Jezreel. What do we do now? What do we do now, Elijah? Take, tell us. Lead us. We would have been lost without you. But instead of that, he gets, you're a dead man. Nothing shocks the system quite so hard as finding out that you're not all that you thought you were. What's Elijah's problem? Pride. He was guilty of believing his own press. He was caught in the glow of of a great victory. And when he was reminded that he wasn't what he thought he was, he was thrown into a pit of despair. A warning for us to never believe that we are more than we are. Wretched sinners saved by the grace of God. He chooses to use weak vessels like us in order to display his power, not ours. Elijah also lost focus. He said, it's enough now, O Lord, take away my life. Elijah adopted an attitude that said, life life is hopeless. I've had it. I quit. Sat down and he gave up. Elijah felt that life was no longer worth living. Elijah took his eyes off the Lord. Instead, he focused on his own circumstances. Elijah maybe should have sung that hymn, number 355, Because He Lives. We sang that last week. Because He Lives. I can face tomorrow. As long as we remember that there is hope. We can make it through. Never forget that God is still on the throne. Jesus lives. No matter how bad things become, God is in control. He knows where we are and, and what we're facing, and he will see you through. As long as there's a God in heaven, there is hope for you. Yeah. Romans 8.18, what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. No matter what the world may, may do to us, we have an incredible inheritance waiting for us in heaven. Romans 8, 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 through 18, the NLT, for our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now, rather we fix our gaze on things that, we can, that cannot be seen. For the things that we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. We have a hope. We have an incredible hope. Job, Job, Job knew difficulty. Job had been run through the ringer. In 2310, he says, but he knows where I'm going. Speaking of God, but he knows where I'm going. And when he tests me, I will come out pure as gold, God uses those things in our life. We talked about that already. God uses every circumstance in our life for a purpose, for a purpose to refine us, to prepare us, to be used as a vessel for him, to prepare us for the glory that awaits us in heaven. Elijah gave up on life, on ministry, and for a brief time on God. He had, had just experienced the highest of highs, and, but he had just as quickly fallen to the lowest of lows. Why? Because he was a man with a nature like ours. He had faced some great discouragement. He faced real threats. He had valid concerns. But he allowed his emotions to take control. That domino effect of of catastrophic thinking took him to to the depths of despair. He was exasperated by his emotional and physical exhaustion. He may have had some unrealistic expectations. He received some unexpected results, and this led him to cut himself off from others, to try to to go it alone. He wallowed in self-pity. He was full of himself, lost his focus, and ultimately that's the real cause for Elijah ending up here. The same can happen to us when we lose our focus. We take our eyes off the Lord, we, we put them on our problems. But thankfully, there's hope for us. No, no matter how despondent we get, Next week, we're going to look at the medicine that the Lord uses to restore us and and to restore Elijah. But here we saw a few things to help us when when we're worn out and and when we're discouraged. We may have real threats, but we also have a real God to turn to. God gave us a Sabbath so that we would rest, so we wouldn't become too exhausted. Spending time to, to reconnect with Him. We must truly trust God in all circumstances, in all His ways. Our expectations must be whatever He wills, whatever He wills, whatever He wills. We must not lose our focus. We must keep our eyes on Jesus. Because He lives, we can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear can be gone. Because we know he holds the future. And life is worth the living just because he lives. Just because he lives. It's a blessed assurance that we have. He's in control. And his ways are not our ways, and often the ways he, he does things are not the way we expect or anticipate not the way we would do it, but he knows. He knows what we need. He knows what we need. He knows our weaknesses, just like Elijah. We often have unrealistic expectations. We want things done our way, and when he doesn't perform exactly that way, we can become disappointed and discouraged cause us to to wallow in self-pity, lose focus. We begin to, to look at our circumstances. And then the enemy comes right in, and he reminds us of everything, doesn't he? And then we soon find ourselves pulling away from the very people that God put in our lives to help us and to support us. And we begin to look at them as, It's not a a help or a solution, but sometimes we even look at them as the enemy. We cut ourselves off from the very help that God gave us. May we submit ourselves to His will. Our expectations are on whatever He desires, even when we don't understand. Because he lives, we can face tomorrow. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we have constant struggles, demands. They feel intense some days. We're often weary and worn, and often we feel exhausted and discouraged. Sometimes there seems there's just not enough hours in the day to get things done that we need to do, and... It's hard to keep going in the face of defeat and discouragement. Help us remember that you are there. You promise to never leave us, never to forsake us. Thank you that you are our refuge and strength, that we have some place to go in the midst of of the storms of our life. Help us to trust you more, to, to stop wasting time spinning our wheels and distracted and worried and wrestling in our own strength. Forgive us for the times when we we fail to look to you first for the days that we forget to even come to you. Fill us with the power of the Holy Spirit, with your strength, your peace, and your joy. Master ask for your healing for every part of our lives, physically and emotionally and spiritually, that you would revive us. We ask that you would make us strong and prepare us for the, for the days ahead. We, we know that you have a great purpose for each of us. Help us not to allow the distractions of a, the struggles of our day to cause us to take our eyes off you and to wear us down to the point of exhaustion. Thank you that you are greater than any problem that we may face in our life. Let us reflect on your love and hope to a, to a world that desperately needs to see it. Know that the enemy wouldn't be fighting so hard against us if if we weren't making a difference for your kingdom, he would leave us alone. But Father, the, the fact that he does come against us just proves, just proves that he is afraid of what you are doing in and through and for us. He's Trying to rob us of all that you have for us. Remember, remind us to, that every single battle that we face in life belongs to you. Whatever we face, you can, you can take down with one swoop of your mighty hand. Thank you for the victories in our lives. They have no explanation except for God did this. Father, I know if we go around this room that every one of us have a story. And we could say, God did this. There's no explanation. Just even as we've been studying in the, in the book of, of Acts on Wednesdays, Peter, as he is confronted in question, he says, I can't help but speak of this. God did this. Personally witnessed it. with my own eyes, I've experienced it. Thank you for the victories. Give you the glory and the honor for all of those things that you're doing in our lives every day. Even, even those, those things that sometimes we don't even recognize. Help us to keep our eyes on you and off of our circumstances. Help us to see those around us who have needs that need to be encouraged. Help us to come alongside one another, to, to help carry one another's burdens. You put us together for a reason. We're all on this journey together. Father, we love you and we need you today. We're reminded of our weakness. But we, we know that in you we are strong. We lift our hearts you and worship this morning we thank you for your great love and care for us Father I pray that everyone in this room would choose to find their rest in you and that you would renew them Father we again thank you that you love and care for us that you understand where we are and what we need and you provide all things Father we pray that you would help us power of the Holy Spirit in our lives in the name of Jesus. Amen.